Listener Production. I have to give it my absolute all. And it was the only way I was going to do it. And if I made a fool of myself doing that, at least I made a fool of myself trying rather than made a fool of myself by being pretentious. And that's not who I am. So I went there and I just gave it everything. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever done. That was me to my core. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe, and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. Melissa Kautz is an ARIA-winning recording artist, actress, star of The Real Housewives of Sydney, and more recently, SAS Australia. Melissa is a true icon of the Aussie entertainment industry. She's a soap star, a pop princess, and a mum. Now, Melissa has graced the cover of over 80 magazines across the globe. She was even voted sexiest woman on earth and hottest woman on the planet. And like many of you, I first watched Melissa when she shined on E Street. She has been typecast as that blonde bombshell for a lot of her career. But as you will hear, there is so much more to this generous, down-to-earth and hard-working woman. Oh, Melissa! Uh, Jessica! <laughs> Hello, beautiful. Hello. It's so special to have you in the studio. Thank you. That's very kind to say. I was so excited that I could come in here and get to chat to you. I haven't seen you for so long in person. It's been a while. It has been a while. You never age. You look absolutely gorgeous with all your colour on, I have to say. (laughs) Oh, you're a honey. Well, I do love colour and I find the older I get, the more I embrace that side of myself and that sort of more quirky side. And it's like, you don't care. We don't care anymore what people think of us. Yes. You know, it's that as well. Because for you, you're 49. Yes, it's good. I feel good about myself and I'm in a good place in my life. So I will take that 49. I have lived through that 49 quite well. And yeah, I'm all good about it. So the big five zero next year. Yes. What does that mean to you? Look, you know, I haven't really thought about it in depth I am proud of who I am as a person. I have the most amazing husband. I have two beautiful children. Life is good, you know. I I can't complain. Because for me, turning 50, I loved it. I love the idea of getting older. But leading up to that, probably more so in my 30s, I look back at that time before I met my husband and I wasn't very happy because I wasn't content with yourself, with who I was. Mm And the older I get, the more comfortable I feel with with my flaws, with my vulnerabilities, with my messiness, my chaos. Is that how you feel? Absolutely. And, you know, I think when I turned 30, everyone says, oh, I cried when I turned 30. And <laughs> I did cry that morning, actually. But because I was happy, I had finally 
figured out who I am and I was comfortable in my own skin. And that was the best feeling ever. So, you know, turning 30 was a great time in my life. Like I said, I met the most beautiful man. I was having babies and, you know, it was great. I loved, you know, then leaning into my 40s and, you know, soon to be my 50s now. And where does time go? It flies. Well, it does fly. Because for many of our listeners, they first knew you when you were on E Street. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny that yeah, people always remember East Street, but um, I actually did Richmond Hill. Do you remember that little show, oh, Richmond Hill? Yes. Yes, like it was a bit of a country kind of, you know, um, look, it was a great little show. That was the first introduction that I had to sort of TV. Um, and I always remember when I went for the audition they said to me, oh, so Melissa, do you know how to ride a horse? And you're always told when you're a young aspiring actor, always say yes. Whatever they ask you, just say yes. So I was so conditioned, you know, to to answering yes, yes. So Melissa, do you ride a horse? Yes. So do you write quite well? Yes. Never, (laughs) never ridden on a horse before in my life, ever. And I just remember, you know, I got the role, so happy. And then I was this farm girl who, you know, loved horse riding and first scene, Melissa, you know, whatever my character was, I kind of remember, Debbie, Debbie um, on a horse. Galloping. Yeah, galloping through the and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I remember I had to go to Randwick and I had to go and get, you know, horse lessons. And I was terrified of horses, terrified. They were so big. And I was like, I can't get up there. I can't get up there. So, yeah, it was um, a very stressful situation. But I pulled it off. I got bucked off the horse, almost died. But that's another story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you put yourself out there. And yeah, you, you've always put yourself out there. Yes. Haven't you? Always. Where does that come from? You know where it comes from, Jessica? It comes from not wanting to fail. Everything that comes across the table for me, my first gut reaction to is, I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. And then it's this whole thing of, no, I will do it. I am going to do it. And this happens to me all the time and still happens to this day. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, how am I going to cope? Oh, I'd have to leave my kids. Oh, how are they going to cope? I don't know if I can do all of those numbers. This is what goes through my head constantly, constantly, constantly. And then, sure enough, guess who ends up doing it? Guess who ends up doing it quite well? That's the battle that I have constantly. And I don't know if that's us as women if that's me as a woman and where I've come through in the industry, but it's this wanting to prove to people, yes, I can. You know, there's a lot of stigma being where I was at, Come, you know, in the 80s and stuff, tall puppy syndrome and, you know, she's got that certain look so she can't be talented or she can't have those skills or I don't think she can do that or she's not smart enough or, you know, coming through that makes you want to fight so much more to prove people wrong. And you've done that though, haven't you? I hope so. I really do hope so because there is still a lot of stigma around me and who I am as a person, who I am as an actress. And, you know, I know my manager will ring up certain casting places and say, oh, look, you know, Melissa's available at the moment if there's any good roles. Oh, yeah, well, if a, a role that we think Melissa would enjoy comes across our table, we'll let you know. 
But usually what they're meaning by those roles is, you know, something glamorous. And I'm an actress. I don't need to be glamorous. I want the dirty roles. I want the roles that strip back the hair and the makeup. They're the roles that I'm looking for. I don't want to be glamorous. You know, I don't go out every day thinking today I have to be glamorous. That's not who I am. That's something that was thrown on my lap by the press and and by the industry. But it's not something that I necessarily would think of myself, if you know what I mean. I don't think of myself, oh, yes, but I'm a very glamorous person. That's not who I am at all. So because of those roles that you had when you were younger, Mm -hmm. you mentioned there Richmond Hill, but thinking about E Street where you were sort of sexy and gorgeous, you were sort of typecast, weren't you? I was typecast when I started doing men's magazines. When I was on E Street, I was so insecure with myself. I had these big boobs that I didn't know what to do with. They put me in this small leather jacket. I had no clue about men and party life and life and being around producers. And I was so clueless. My father was so strict on me as a child. And you were, what, 16? Yes. And I had no confidence. I knew I had worked hard to become an actress. Yes, because I was always in acting school always in singing classes. I understood why I got the role. But walking into a room with people who have been on a TV show for a year already and were all household names, it's not like now where you've got social media and so many other influences and things. TV back then, if there was a good show that was running, it was all anyone spoke about, you know. The actors on there were huge stars. So walking into that room, oh, it was horrific. I was terrified I just was so scared and I was scared that I wasn't pretty enough, wasn't good enough, wasn't as good, you know, all these insecurities. Um, And it took me a while to sort of blend in. And that's hard though, if you think about as a teenager, let alone when you're doing it Mm. in the gaze of the country. 100%. You're on the telly. Yes. How did you manage that? It was tough. As much as I loved working, oh, being on that show, it was so much fun. There were parties and don't get me wrong, we had to work so hard and I did. I always turned up to work on time. I always knew my lines. That's one thing that I absolutely back myself on is that I'm a very professional person, very professional. I never once turned up hungover or couldn't get through the day or didn't know what I was doing, not once. So I back myself highly um, that way. But it was hard. It was very hard because I grew up in the public eye and I had no idea who I was. So I didn't know what I was trying to put forth, you know. I was just trying to figure it out as I went. And then you've got people who are saying, oh, you know, uh, I wish you were a bit taller. Um, I wish you could do something better with your hair. Um, It'd be good if you could lose a bit of weight. Um, You know, you had this constant brave... Commentary. Commentary of... And that can be damaging, can't it? Massively. Massively damaging, and it was damaging later on in my early 20s. Hugely damaging. In what way? I became very unsure of myself and very insecure and constantly questioning, am I good enough? Am I right enough? Am I too big? Am I, you know, and then when I'd lost weight, I was too skinny, apparently. And then, 
you know, there was no pleasing anyone. And it wasn't until, as I said, getting to your 30s and you say, you know what? I'm good with who I am. This is who I am. And I don't need to be anybody for anyone else. People are always going to say what they think about you or, you know, there's always going to be commentary when you're in the public eye. Um, And it's not always bad. Please don't think that it's always bad. But you have to find that safe haven for yourself where you can listen to these things, but they don't affect you. You also say that during that time, there was a lot of attention. There was a lot of attention to on your love life. Mm. And I mean, you fell in love. Which was really non-existent. I mean, let's face it. I dated, you know, two actors very, very briefly. Well, Simon Baker. Yes, which was a brief thing. And I think because people get so excited about that now because he's a big star and he was on my film clip. So people like to talk about that. But really, it was very brief. I mean, it was very brief. He was definitely my first real love. But I don't even know if there was really a relationship there. You know, I, you got to remember, I had never dated anybody. I had never had a boyfriend growing up at school. I just wasn't allowed to do any of that. So, yeah, it was a brief romance, if you will. And then with Marcus Graham, again, extremely brief. I think Marcus literally... He is hot. He I, is. I and he, everyone yeah, he, had a crush he, on everyone him. Everyone had a crush on Marcus. <laughs> everyone. But I think he dated everybody in the industry at that time. And so he should have. He was this hot young guy. Why the hell not? So, again, very brief. But I think they were looking for things, you know, to find to pin on me and they never could. And I think that drove them mad. I remember like I'd go out in Melbourne, you know, to a hot nightclub or whatever. And the next morning be like, oh, Melissa Couch seeing dancing on the table and blah, blah. And of course it wasn't true. But they just wanted to find something juicy. I think they wanted to see me like throwing up in my hair on the corner of the dance floor so they had something to say. And then when they couldn't find anything, they'd just say whatever anyway. Which, you know, it is what it is. When you say they, sorry, sections of the media, really? Would that be right? Yes, sections of the media, not all of the media. I mean, I've had such a wonderful relationship with uh, media in Australia. They've always been incredibly supportive. But you get a couple that it's almost like that's their thing, you know, to, to get the dirt. So it's more that. But you only need one or two comments, you know, for it to say, oh, well, that's not true, you know, for it to be hurtful or harmful. And isn't that fascinating? I find the same with me that it's the hurtful things that we take on board Mm. and more often than not, that's the tiny fraction of comments. Most things are positive and most people are kind and come from a good place. But it's those hurtful things Mm -hmm. that we then listen to and then can sometimes become that soundtrack in our heads. And do you know what? That takes years and years and years and years and years to figure out how to block that out and how to stay true to yourself and not listen to that. And how have you managed that? I have been through ups and downs, you know, mentally with anxiety and all sorts of things and, you know, losing weight and lost a lot of weight at one point, bouts of depression, all of those things. But there are lots of people on that journey to find themselves. They go through these things. And I definitely went through it, you know. And it was just more public, if anything. It was more public. Yeah, absolutely. It was more public. 
it is hard. There is a lot of stigma around who I am as a person. And I know a lot of people, you know, within the industry, they're like, well, we don't really know what Mel's like. I think they just see, they see me at a premiere in a nice dress and a heels, oh, she's, you know, sexy blonde, you know, that's sort of it. That's all she's got. And it's like, man, there is so much more to me than that. You know, there is so much more to me than just putting on a pair of heels and putting on a dress. That's not who I am at home. You know, I'm the tracky girl. I want to I want to take my bra off and I want to put my Ugg boots on and I, you know, I'm a passionate mother and I love my children and I, I get down on the floor and I clean my kitchen floors and, you know, I am normal. I am, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to get dirty. I didn't realise people perceived me as just this glamorous person until I did SAS and I had the most amazing women, and I'm going to get emotional here, because I had the most amazing women come up to me and say, good for you. It was so good to see you on that show. Mind you, I was on the show for a whole 48 hours. But the response I got from people who just were backing me and just saying, you were amazing on that show. And I said, no, but I failed terribly. What are but you talking you didn't about? fail. And they're like, just to see how much you went in there and gave it a go and didn't put your hands up and say, I'm not getting my hair wet, you know, and things, which I think people thought that that's what I was going to do. And that is not me. I am who you saw, who you saw on that show. I said, if I'm going to do that show, they asked me the first season, I said, no. Then they asked me again. And I was in a time in my life where we were all in lockdown and I needed to do it for myself because I was having, you know, bouts of depression and, and, and just who, what, where am I? What am I doing? What's going on? All this uncertainty. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity to go there and just to let it all out and just, you know, but I said, if I'm going to do that, I have to give it my absolute all. And it was the only way I was going to do it. And if I made a fool of myself doing that, at least I made a fool of myself trying rather than made a fool of myself by being pretentious. And that's not who I am. I am not that pretentious person. So I went there and I just gave it everything. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever done. It was amazing. That was me to my core. And yeah, it was it was incredible. And you were incredible on that. So brave. Oh my God. I was so scared, Jessica. I swear to God, when I saw that plane, I am claustrophobic. I hate being in the water. I hate being upside down. And then in the water, that plane thing, Ant Middleton, he looked into my eyes and into my soul and said, you can do this. And it was like, it was so crazy how much it touched me. And I just, I said, you know what? I actually said this to myself, believe it or not. I am going to give this a go even if I die doing it. I I don't want to let him down and I'm not going to let myself down. I've come here. I need to do this even if I die. I was willing to die just to prove to myself that I can get over the hardest obstacles in life. And, you know, we are all as human beings so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. 
you know, because if I could do that, if I could get in that plane and, and turn it upside down and, you know, being under the water and not being a good swimmer and all those things, anyone can, I'm telling you. And coming out of that water, even though I failed. <laughs> but you coming, didn't fail. I didn't fail myself, but coming out of that water and just having that first breath, I was like, oh, my God, I did it. I couldn't believe I did it. Even I got yelled at when I got out that I'd done something wrong, but I didn't care. I was just like, that was huge. I can't believe I just did that. That was so huge for me because I, you know, I do everything in my little comfort zone, you know, to put myself out there like that and to have cameras in your face was so huge for me. It was amazing. It is amazing. I'm in awe. All of those things, I could think of nothing worse no, than, oh, than being yelled at. If I'm yelled yeah. at, I get upset. Yeah. But the water, the claustrophobia. Yeah. And I think for me, I was meant to be the five-minute girl, you know, and I know that's why they put me on that show. They didn't think that I was going to last an hour and I had to prove to them that that's not who I am. You've asked me onto this show. I'm going to give it everything. I know I'm not an athlete. I know I'm not going to last very long. But there was no way I was going to give up after the first thing. And, I mean, we filmed, you know, half a day before you even saw that plane. I was exhausted already. We'd been up and down the beach on our arms and knees in the gravel and, like, I was already cut up. I'd already almost passed out. My lips were purple and... I just said, I am making it one night in that bunker. That was my mission, to make it overnight in that bunker. And they couldn't believe that I'd made it. The producers, they didn't even have a pair of socks for me in my bag, a clean pair of socks for the next day because they just didn't think I was going to get there. So I remember laying in the bed in the bunker and I was just looking up and I just said, you did it. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. I did what I came here and what I planned to do. And then um, the next day when the task came, I, I really couldn't do that task because I hadn't qualified to do it when we did some practice with it. Also, you had a chance to We had a chance to have you know, a crack Yeah, we didn't whatever. know what it was going to be, but we had to try and climb this thing and jump onto this pole and I failed. I couldn't do it. So I remember Ant pulled me to sign. This was off camera and saying, look, Mel, you don't have to do this. I know it didn't go so well in the training. So, And I just said, I, I just wanted to... Sorry, it's 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 emotional for me because it was so full on. And um, I said, I just, I want to climb these stairs and just see what is there. And I thought, because then at least I know I gave it a go rather than just say, oh, no, don't want to do it. So he said, okay. So I climbed up the stairs with this, you know, it was just so hard pulling myself. I just don't have muscles up there. I mean, I'm toned, but I just, I, I don't have that, you know. I just had no business being there really. Yes, you um, did. Don't say well, you had no business being there okay. because by being there, you proved so much to yourself, but not only yourself, mm. to a whole lot of other women watching. I did, who... and I didn't realise that it affected other people until afterwards. And people came up to me and I said, you know, I didn't just do that for myself, but I did that for them. Because women were literally grabbing my arm saying, you are amazing. You're amazing. I'm thinking, I was amazing. I was on the show for 48 hours. Men saying, oh, you were so good. You were so good on that show. I'm thinking, really? Like you don't realise it's affecting people at home because of, you know, things that they're going through or whatever. But I remember the next day when I was leaving and I just, everyone started clapping on the cast. Oh, my God, it was the best thing ever. Everyone was clapping for me and I was walking up and I was bawling my eyes out because it was just all this built-up tension and, and just 
being terrified and scared and, um, you know, just the achievement of having stayed there overnight, even though it's so ridiculous it was overnight. But for someone like me, it was huge. It wasn't just a reality TV show. It was something that I mentally put myself through and I just felt as though I achieved what I set out to do. And it was incredible. And even I think more than what you set out to achieve, from listening to you explain that whole experience, how did you then come to terms with then leaving that? Because was there a bit of a crash or? Massive crash. I was very, very emotional, very emotional for some days after that because I felt like I had a breakthrough. I had a breakthrough mentally, but I was I was proud of myself. But then I started worrying I hope they show that how it happened. I hope they don't throw me under the bus here because I know I was meant to be the glamorous girl who comes here and says, I don't want to get my hair wet. And look, even if the girls who did that prior to that, look, I get it. It's horrendous. It's horrific, you know. And if you don't want to feel like you're risking your life, then you've got no prerogative to do it, right? But I was there for something completely different. I wasn't there for five minutes of fame. I wasn't there so I could be, you know, on the buses and promoting the show. I wasn't there for that. I was there because mentally I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. This was something that I swore blind I would never do. I've never bungee jumped. I've never done any risk-daring things ever. And I went there to prove something to myself and I did that. And I was just worried that they were going to try and manipulate that situation because really at the end of the day they can cut it however they want, manipulate that situation so that I did look like I didn't give it a go and they didn't. And it was the best. It was the best and I was so grateful to them, to the producers of SAS, that they showed it for what it was and how it was. So, yeah, it was just a win-win for me. It really was. And even though I, you know, obviously was out after 48 hours, I was just, I was happy. I was really happy with myself. Listening to you talk about that concern that you had about, oh, what's the edit going to be like? Is it because as well, there's a sense that you feel you've been typecast into the particular roles? All the time. And it's so frustrating. I am an actress for a reason. I don't want to play myself. I want to play a different character. I will do anything. For the right role, I would do anything. I would shave my head. I would change the colour of my hair. I would do anything you ask of me. Okay, so we've got producers listening here to the the podcast, directors. exactly. Melissa said it. She'll shave her hair. She'll do whatever it takes for that right role. Yes, I want to get down and dirty. I don't need to play, you know, the The cheating girlfriend or the bombshell or the glamorous. I don't need to be that. Because do you feel sexy? Like, do you see yourself as a sexy kind of person? No, I don't. I just don't. So isn't that interesting? Yes. Do I want to feel good about myself? Yes. And what woman doesn't? What woman does not want to feel good about themselves? When you put on a pair of high heels and put on a nice dress, is that because we're saying, oh, I just want to be so sexy and, you know, no, I just want to feel nice. I just want to feel good. That's what I want for myself. I just want to feel good about myself. And just because we look a certain way 
on the outside doesn't then mean that's how we feel on the yeah, inside. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't have a soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a very funny, funny thing, you know, especially with me. I think, I don't know why people can't see past, not everybody, but there's a certain amount of people that can't see past the glamour, especially in the industry. And there's so much more to me than this glamorous person that you think I am. I'm not going to turn up to a red carpet event with a pair of tracksuit pants on, am I? I'm going to put on a pair of heels. I'm going to put on a dress. I'm going to do my hair like everybody else. But that's one element of me. And don't get me wrong, I love doing that. I love feeling good about myself and I love putting on those clothes. But that's not who I am only, Well, that's it. We're complex creatures. And as we get older, we become more comfortable, I think, with that complexity that we have. I agree. And it's not saying that I don't want to do the glamorous, sexy roles. I mean, I just did a TV show that's coming out um, soon for Channel 7 about the council. And I play, you know, the woman who's having an affair with the mayor, like, you know, surprise, surprise. But, you know, I did that, yes, and it was very enjoyable, but I seem to get typecast in those roles constantly. And it's a real shame because I just feel like I've got so much more to give. There's so much more that I can do. Like, just give me the chance to sort of show you. And isn't it exhausting sometimes when you think about, say, when you were younger, your currency was very much the exterior and mm. and being the bombshell and, and being, you know, a, a certain way. But that then changes as we get older and that's actually a good thing and we need to reinvent ourselves and we want people to yes. see those different sides of ourselves. And this is why I did SAS, I think, because I need to retrain people's brain that I am not that 16, 17-year-old girl anymore, you know. I'm I'm a woman who's been through, you know, lots of different things in my life and I'm just somebody that's so much more than that, you know. To pigeon somebody into, oh, she's just a glamorous person, that's pretty shallow. <laughs> like, to do that to anybody, really, I feel that that's how people perceive me. Not all people, that's how some people in the industry perceive me. And don't get me wrong, I don't think they think that I'm this shallow, you know, unprofessional, nasty person. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think they just think that they're the only roles that I'm going to want to do, and it's not true. Thinking about that younger woman, I mean, you also had an incredibly successful music career. I was looking at a YouTube clip at the Arias when you won the most popular ah, single. Yes. And you beat John Farnham and Jimmy Barnes. Yes. The Screaming Jets. Yes. And there was another extraordinary Aussie singer. 
you beat them all. I mean, I know. That's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. Jenny Morris, that was Jenny the other Morris. Singer. Oh, God, I love Jenny Morris. One of the, yeah, I love Jenny Morris. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's almost like, you know, there were elements of people in that room that felt that I probably didn't deserve that award. The winner is. Read my lips, Melissa. Heavy. <laughs> um, I'd love to thank the industry for all the support and um, Phonogram for really believing in my future. Um, I'd like to thank uh, my management, David Kane, Kula Motsos and everyone at Image Management. Um, I'd love to thank my producer, Leon Berger, and Doug Henderson and everyone at Powerhouse Music. Um, I'd love to thank all my fans for their support and my family. They've been really good. Thank you. But I'm sorry, why? Why didn't I? Why wouldn't I have deserved that award, you know? It's like I was a singer. I had trained to become a singer. I worked my ass off for that single, <laughs> let me tell you. And I literally... You toured shopping centres. You travelled the country. I toured the whole of Australia on very little sleep for an extremely long time. I worked very, 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 very hard, um, you know, and I was filming East Street at the same time. That was my turn. That was my night, you know, and it's just, yeah. Even though a lot of people did congratulate me and whatever, but it's like that's got to mean something, doesn't it? Like, you know, you have, like I said, this whole tall poppy syndrome where, oh, you know, she's not that good. She didn't deserve that, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, I did and I got it the award that night. And, of course, too, you beat Daryl Braithwaite with that, Aussie anthem that he now has horses. I know. It's crazy. Read My Lips was such a big song, though. It was such a big song. It was massive. So do you want to keep singing? I mean, I'm sure well, you I do always, privately. I've always kept singing, even after those massive hits. I've had three albums after, you know, my first album, Fresh. And up until COVID, I was performing regularly um, in clubs uh, around Australia. And then, of course, COVID hit. Our whole industry took such a huge dive. So I am getting back into it now because I love it so much. I enjoy being on that stage. It's so much fun and it's a part of who I am and where I've come from. You do have so much to give and... There are so many parts to you, and I find that fascinating, that you have so much to offer and that sort of frustration that is coming through loud and clear from Mm. you that people are not appreciating or seeing all those different things that you can do. Mm. Yeah, and like I said, it's not something that's verbalised to me, but it's how I feel at times, people's perception of me within the industry. It's like, you know, I think they get scared because they don't know where to place me. Sometimes They're not quite sure where I fit. I remember I did uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, Sleeping Beauty, and, you know, I Which was a pantomime. Yeah, it was Which was brilliant with Ron de Birchmore. It was so much fun. Did you see it? I did. Did you? (laughs) I love a panto. They're so camp. It was so camp. Fun. It was so up my alley. Oh, my God, I loved it so much. Perfect example I did the opening in Melbourne and there was a lot of industry people there 
And, you know, what we got back afterwards, you know, because people in the audience and stuff, they're like, wow, I thought Melissa, you know, that, that was Melissa Carrots, you know, wow, you know, she did really well. And it's like, it's like they're shocked. And it's like, this is what I do. What, what is you shocked about? I sing, I act, I present, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing for the last For well, your years. entire life since you were a tiny <laughs> exactly. girl. Exactly. And it's like, oh, wow, she was really good. So it's just you're dealing with that constantly, constantly, constantly. And I do believe it's because of the way I look. It's that whole tall puppy syndrome thing again. Do you reckon you're tough on yourself? Oh, nobody is tougher on me than myself. Why? I think just being in the industry at a young age and having to deal with a lot of different comments and taking that in Right, and even though I have learnt to find myself and be confident within myself, that has made me be very tough on myself because I think if I'm super tough on myself, right, and I am my worst critic, then it doesn't matter what anyone else says about me, I've already sort of judged myself. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. In a really sick, twisted way, that is exactly my mentality around it. It's how I cope with the outside noise. If the outside noise isn't good, I think, well, I've already sort of critiqued myself on that. It sounds exhausting, though. Exhausting. It is. It is very exhausting. But when I am at home, I try and switch that off for my children because I want them to grow up feeling confident about who they are and feeling secure in their skin, you know, and because I am a person who has been brought up in a very, very harsher industry when we were younger, obviously, and we were critiqued a lot to our face. You're too fat. You look too fat on camera. You need to lose some weight. You're not looking good. You look much better in your film clips here when we've, you know, spent five hours with you in makeup, but we need you to look like that here. I used to get stuff like that. It was so full on. So do you still carry that now? I don't carry that anymore, no. But, you know, you don't forget things like that. But I don't carry it with me. It's not who I am as a person. I don't hold on to that at all. But because when we were younger growing up in the industry, we needed to look a certain way. We needed to be a certain way. I needed to have my hair a certain way. I needed to have my face a certain way. These things have, have made me who I am, you know, and I can't help it. I can't help but put those pressure on myself. I want you to take some of that pressure off. Oh, I, I know. want you to try. Look, it's not switched on all the time at home. It's not like that all the time. I think it's when I have to face the industry, I am so scared of not being right or I'm so scared of what they're going to say and you think you're over that and you you feel secure. Like, I feel like I'm a secure, you know, woman. And I know all of this sounds very confusing, but (laughs) this is what goes on in my very confusing mind. But when I do step out, you know, into the limelight, if you will, I just want to shut everyone up. I want to be the best that I can be. You know, if I've got a performance, I want the performance to be the best that it can be. I will work so hard to make sure it's the best I can be. When I have an acting job, I want to make sure that I've walked away and people said, wow, she was great. So you're a perfectionist. Oh, 
Unbelievably. <laughs> unbelievably, Jess. Unbelievably. I am just so guilty. No, but don't say guilt because you haven't done anything wrong. I know, but it's it's hard work in the right way. It's kind of a tightrope, isn't it? Because it's that desire or really you want to do your very best, so you are tough on yourself, but it's also giving yourself permission to go, you know what, I've done the work, I'm going to let go of this expectation and enjoy it. Yes, and, and I do. Find the I do. Joy in it. I mean, I'm really talking to you about you know my deepest, deepest thoughts. This isn't. I'm not standing on set going, oh my gosh, I can't do anything wrong. Like I'm not like that at all. I go on there and I have fun and I enjoy it and everything. I'm just saying this is the sh- shit that goes on through my mind when I'm laying in bed, and this is my deepest, darkest thoughts that most people wouldn't sort of talk about. But we're here on this podcast and I'm, you know, I'm giving you everything. And thank you because the thing is, what is so important about what you're doing, Mm. they are your deepest, darkest thoughts, but they're thoughts that a lot of us have and a a lot of us grapple with. And as you say, in the middle of the night, and I think it's important for people to hear this because it makes us all feel, hey, we're in this together and we're human and this is the stuff of life. It is. It is. And I think this is why what happened, sorry to go back to SAS again, but I think this is why I had so many people stop me for that show was because of that reason. Because this is human beings. Well, it's the stuff of life and it's often the stuff that we don't talk about. Yes. We don't see. Yes. And I am normal. I am not just somebody who wakes up every day and puts on a dress and high heels and looks pretty. There is so much more. So much more. You have shown us so much more. And my great wish for you, Melissa, Mm. is that you are given some amazing opportunities to shine and give the wider world that amazing talent and heart of yours. So thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank you. That was awesome. And it's so lovely to see your beautiful face. And thank you for having me on your show. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Isn't Melissa such a sweetheart. The way that she opened up, she is such a extraordinary woman. So any producers, directors out there, you know the person for your next role. And also I think the next time Harry Styles is touring in Australia, I mean, he sang Daryl Braithwaite's Horses last time. I think he needs to be singing Read My Lips the next time he is performing those stadium shows. And if you want to follow what Melissa is up to, head to her Instagram, which is, of course, at Melissa Coutts. For more big conversations like this, follow the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. It means you will never, ever miss an episode. And if, like me, you first fell in love with Melissa when she was doing E Street in the 90s and you've got a friend who loved watching E Street, share this episode with them. And if you love this chat with Melissa, I reckon you will love my chat with Danny Minogue. It didn't break me, but it left something inside me that was damaged. I look at those pictures now and I'm like, how could you even have thought that? So the the damage was there. And then there's, you know, been time later as an adult where I've realised that that happened and I've repaired that damage. 
The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. 